Hello humans of triathlon and welcome to the hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from all around the globe and from all walks of life I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin along with an amazing guest So here on the Hot Podcast, we get to talk about what the sport of triathlon gives to people. And while today's guest gets a lot out of the sport, I guarantee she gives back a whole lot more. She has used her medical career to help people via an organization you may have heard of called Doctors Without Borders. And when an experience dispensing medical care under gunfire left her with PTSD, she says that bikes were her therapy. Riding with a woman's mountain bike group appropriately called her Trail Angels, led her to share her experiences and begin the process of healing. Her love for bikes also extends to her husband, who, and this is just an awesome idea, guys, out there, I'm just saying, gave her a bike as an engagement ring. How awesome is that? Eventually, this bike love, combined with reading Chrissy Wellington's book, Life Without Limits, led to her first 70.3, and the triathlon hook was sunk. She has since gone on to do four 70.3 races and other races as well. Now she has co-founded a nonprofit called Project Bike Love that delivers bikes to underprivileged women around the world. And I can tell you, if you want some Instagram inspiration, you need to follow her on Project Bike Love and see all the amazing change that comes when you give a person a bike. As she says, bikes have helped her see the beauty in life again, and she wants to share that passion with everyone. So here for us to listen and be inspired by that passion, please welcome to the hot podcast, Belen Ramirez. Hi everyone. Hi Robin. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm like, that was like, oh, that's perfect. That's a whole introduction. She said it all now. (laughs) That's it. Bye bye. (laughs) Yeah, we're super excited to have you on. It's taken a while to actually get this together, hasn't it? I know. We've been trying this, I think, since the beginning of the year. But then I've been traveling to, yeah, South America and like other places. So finally, I'm very happy. And then my computer wasn't working and I'm like, oh my gosh, please, no. (laughs) Come back to life. (laughs) Yeah. No, your story is when you sent it through and I posted it, the reaction that I got from the people was, was amazing. So we had to get you on to hear more from you. So thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I I just love sharing about life and the passion I have about life. Yeah, that comes through. Definitely, definitely comes through. So we usually like to start off from our guest's childhood. And so we've we've started this new concept just last episode where, so let's say you had to write a book about your life from the beginning until now. How many chapters do you think would be Mm -hmm. there? And so what would be chapter one and why? I was a tomboy. That's chapter one. And my mom, when I was 33, she thought, which is totally, it's funny, but I'm from Paraguay, South America. So for my mom, that wasn't really cool. But she was like, sweetheart, if you're a lesbian, it's totally fine. Because my mom thought, (laughs) 
I was just, I was a tomboy my whole life. I was a rebel. I was like a trailblazer for for women, and I was an advocate for women. So I was I was born and raised in Paraguay, South America. Most of you probably never heard about the country. We're a landlocked country in the middle of South America. Um, we're only seven million people. And it's not very known. It's not a very touristic place. So people really doesn't know much about Paraguay. But something about about it and about the, the whole culture, it's a very machista, macho community. It's, it's very machista. So um, I'm the middle of five. I have two older brothers and I have two younger sisters. So I, uh, for me, I, I, I always had food and roof and education and everything. But for me, I lacked the privilege that I wanted to have that was just being able to go and play outside and just climb trees and do the fun stuff that I couldn't do or I wasn't supposed to do because I was a girl. So uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's my first memory on a bike? And like, actually my first memory is uh, my brother got a bike for his birthday and he was 10 years old. So I was like eight. And I'm like, I really wanted to ride that bike because I never, well, I, I knew already how to ride one, but I never had my own bike. So it was like siesta time and everybody was sleeping. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know what they were doing, but I went and I stole the bike and uh, I rode it like I stole it. <laughs> and <laughs> the thing is, and I, I laugh about this now, it's like I went as hard as I could, but I guess I didn't know how to brake or how to turn. And there was like this cliff and I'm like, I didn't know what to do. So I just jumped off the bike and the bike went down. <laughs> and it was like, I, now when I, I'm like, I really don't remember in how much trouble I got. I'm pretty sure I did, but it was one of those times when my mom also like realized that, okay, she's, she's different. I'm like, and, and she find a way to raise me and just kept me alive. <laughs> that, so my, my whole, um, my whole childhood was always that. Like, so even then when I wanted to, like, I won this trip when I was 16 and my dad said, uh, you're not going. And I, I asked my mom and my mom was like, no, you are going. And um, so she held me there. And then I wanted to be a doctor. So I just went and changed from a, to a humanitarian degree in, uh, when I was in uh, not primary school, secondary school. So it's just I just kept doing that. Like I just kept like breaking barriers and going like what I was not supposed to do as a woman. So without knowing, I've been mean, actually an advocate for women my since since I was a little girl. Wow. That is an awesome beginning to a book <laughs> about your life. I was a tomboy. <laughs> Still am. So you mentioned you at least in your story, uh that you 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 struggle with body dysmorphia and you, you know, like you thought you were too strong for a girl or too muscular for a girl. So did that come from society or was it just you comparing yourself to other people? Oh my gosh, totally. The thing is, and it's just, sorry about it. I'm not, too, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm like, I didn't have big boobs. No. And I, 
And like, as a Latin, you are supposed to have them. You're not supposed to have muscles. And I'm like, if you see my pictures, I'm like, whenever I'm like, I grow muscles. Like I have muscles in my arms and my legs. I want it to be like this tiny little thing. And I'm like, I just, I wasn't that, like that. And I'm like, well, and I say now, I actually, I, I found my tribe because I'm like, all the people, all my friends, all my cyclists, all my triathletes friends are just like me, except for the one who bought them. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my whole life, I had this body dysmorphia of I'm too strong for a woman, but it's, it's just because I was not supposed to do things. So I think when you're a girl and like a little girl and a teenager, you still fight against those things. Cause it's like, they do tell you you're different and you know, you're different. But at that time being different, it's not okay. Cause you, you, you want to be part of the society. I mean, you want to be like your friends. You want to be like your family. So you're like, you do think that there is something wrong with you. Like, now I go back and I'm 39 and I'm like, no, there was nothing wrong with me. I was like, just perfectly fine. But I didn't know that at that time. So I, I always like when I share polls or when I say something, I'm like, if like, I tell little girls, it's like, please, if you're fighting with this, it's, it's totally okay. You're okay. You're perfectly beautiful the way you are. And having muscles is the best thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm strong. It's it's funny because I'm small. I'm only I'm only one fifty four or five one, and like people will see me carrying big stuff, and they were like, "Wow, you're small but mighty." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm strong." <laughs> For me now, that's that's awesome. Like I'm I'm super proud of that. But before, if people were telling me that, I will be like, I would never wear sleeves. I mean, sorry, I will never wear sleeveless. Like I will always cover my arms. Like I would never show my arms because they were muscly and I was not supposed to be like that. And now I'm like, if I'm taking a picture, I'm actually flexing a little. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not flexing. That's exactly how I am. (laughs) But it's just, yeah, but it's, it's something about society and the society I grew up in. So I don't know. I think I, I became more aware of that. I think after like, I, I moved, so I'm 39 now, and now I'm like, I finally realized that, but I still used to be a little like that, like not so long ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's something that, you know, obviously a lot of people struggle with, which is hard. I love that you've taken that and you're changing the narrative for girls today. I, I do, and I, and I tell them, like, that's something that I will always say. I have this. I have a nephew, and we laugh because she's. We said she's Belen, but blonde because she's she's just like me. She's hilarious. She will be like she's a tomboy, mm-hmm. and my mom. She's only eleven months old, so my mom would give her dolls so she can keep play with the dolls, and she will not play with the dolls. She will go with the balls or the cars or the bikes. <laughs> she will go to every like. She doesn't like dolls at all. So, and, uh, and she's like, people will tell her she's chubby and she's this tiny little thing. She's 11 months old. <laughs> I'm like, of course, we're all chubby at 11 months old. I mean, you're supposed to be like that, right? So, baby. 
I know you're a baby. So I will go and I will tell her and she just laughed. And I'm like, sweetheart, people will tell you a lot of things, but you are the most beautiful, smarter, strongest little girl. And she will just laugh. She has no idea what I'm telling her, but (laughs) yeah, but I'm just repeating that all the time to her because it's, it's either that you're chubby or you're strong or you're like, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's an amazing, smart, beautiful girl. That's what she is. But I don't know. I think people still, I do feel that more in South America, like in, in Latin countries. But I guess because I've, I've been here for six years and I'm here just surrounded by all athletes. So I guess we're always talking about adventures with my friends. But still, when I go back to South America, everything is related to that. Like even my friends will tell me, it's like, uh, so when are you going to get boob jobs? And I'm like, never. <laughs> no, you know, they will be awesome. They will look so good on you. I'm like, really? Still? <laughs> so people will ask you that. Like that's something that my friends from high school, they will talk about that. Or it's always related to the body. And I'm like, oh my God, still? <laughs> so I just... I try to share it with the little ones. I'm like, I, I have hope in them <laughs> that it will change from the from the little ones eventually. Yeah, and how great that your niece has you right there in her life, her whole life. It kind of makes you wish maybe that you had somebody like that that could share that wisdom down. Yes, my my mom was my mom was amazing in the way that she figured out because we're not we're not similar at all. She's not. Uh, athletic, she's not adventurous, but she found a way to raise me and like let me be who I was. But she's also a part of the, because uh, I mean, want it or not, for her, she will be like, if I was a little, if I, I was getting a little weight, she's like, are you okay? <laughs> like, it's everything okay? So always the, the, uh, the body, uh, it was about like if you were you were get, gaining weight, you there was something wrong with you, like what, something was happening with you. And then actually, if you were losing weight, which probably was the re- that something was was going on, people will be like, "Oh, you look so good now." And I'm like, I'm actually super depressed and bad. <laughs> but but it's just it's just so thing. And the funny thing is like when I went to Africa for my first mission, it's super cultural. I went to Africa for my first mission in South Sudan and I gained nine kilos, like a lot of weight. And what happened was that I was active. I was trying to work out, but then at the same time you were going to places and you were with the uh, chief villages. And for them, uh, they, they drink something called shy like tea and it's like half of it will be sugar so um i i i I had to drink it because it was like part of the culture and it was going to be a bad thing if i didn't drink it and for them it was a sign of like giving you the best that they had like they would give you the sugar that they were not drinking or eating so the thing is i gained weight and then everyone was like oh my gosh you look so good (laughs) like all my African friends, they were like, oh, you look so good. Look at you. You look so healthy. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it is a cultural thing. Yeah. yeah. So how did you develop your interest in medicine and becoming a doctor? Um, so I always wanted to help. That was my thing. Like, 
I will be the the, uh, the oldest cousin and I will be like always helping my cousins or helping my friends. And uh, when I was 14, I was in a trip in Belgium with my mom, with my family, and I saw this picture and it was a doctor with all border pictures. So I told my mom, hey, that's what I want to do when I'm when I'm older. So she said, and it was like a picture of a, a doctor helping a patient. So my mom said, then uh, you need to become a doctor for that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I have good grades. <laughs> I think I can become a doctor. You'll just go do that. Yeah, it, it was like when I was 14, I saw that picture and I'm like, I decided to be a doctor. So I went into medical school actually thinking and hoping that I would I would do that. And even now, my like my teachers remember that. I totally forgot, but one of my uh, teachers from the residency, he said, you know, when we did the interview with you and I asked you what you wanted to do, you were like, I want to be a family physician so I can go and work with Dr. Will Borders. And we were all like, wow, like she really knows what she wants. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do since I was 14. So, Did you ever imagine being something else? Uh, no, since, since I, well, my dad was a pilot. So before that, I was going to be a flight attendant. So I would be flying with my dad because I was very jealous of the flight attendants serving my dad. So I was going to be a flight attendant. But then I changed to doctor. <laughs> and I think that that's, I've never, my whole life, I always remember that that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted, it was just this thing that I wanted to do medicine, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to help. So I know there are other reasons why people want to do medicine. And like, I, I know different type of doctors, but I mean, for me, that was always my motivation. And just also one of the reasons why right now I'm not, I'm not practicing here in the States. I'm doing something different. I'm like, I moved here not because I wanted to be a doctor. I moved here because I fell in love and I, I, I married my husband and I moved here. So I kept working with Dr. Well Borders. And some people actually tell me that, why don't I practice here? And they will be like, you can make a lot of money. I'm like, well, that's not what I'm, that's not what I do it. And I love being a humanitarian doctor. So I guess I I found other ways to help when I'm not uh, being a doctor, which be one of the reasons why I help uh, founded Project Bike Club. So I guess whatever I do, I just I like to I like to help. Like I, I like to make feel people that they can do things or like they can do things for themselves. It's just. There's just this amazing feeling on, on seeing that on people. Like they can overcome things, they can do things. And yeah, when I'm a when I'm a doctor in the places where I'm a doctor, like most of the time it's really I'm just I'm helping them live. So it is a different it is a different feeling. But uh, I'm helping, I'm serving. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um so just explain to everyone listening what exactly Doctors Without Borders is and what you guys do. So we are a medical humanitarian organization. We are in over 70 countries now. What we, we have different type of projects. We will have like emergency projects and projects that are long-term. 
a long-term project, for example, will go to a hospital in a place and will help with the hospital. Like we will teach skills to nurses and doctors. We will help with rehabilitation of pediatric wards or obstetric wards. We will help with the medication. For us, the most important thing is to give free uh, quality care to the patients. So that's what we will go and do at a regular project, as we call it. But then we have emergency projects that are natural disasters like earthquakes, um, tsunamis. Then we will go that if something happened, we will go right away. We also have epidemics like cholera or Ebola. So whenever there is an outbreak, we will be one of the first ones to be there. Uh, we also do different type of things. For example, my last mission was in Mexico, and it was we were working with immigrants, and we're giving primary health care, but at the same time we're giving mental health. So um, that's that's uh, mainly what what we do. <laughs> and then we are in places. Most of the places where we go, there is war. So it's not that we like war, but wherever there is war, there is people suffering. And uh, there is vulnerable people. So in like most of the places, sometimes the hospitals are being bombed and there is no medical personnel. So that's why we are in those places. And that's that's what we do. <laughs> Has it met with your expectations of your 14-year-old self? It did. My first, my first, I cry a lot. That's amazing. Like my, my first mission in South Sudan I think I cried for seven months. And, um, but what happened is, because I really wanted to help, like I really wanted to do something like, okay, I wanted to save the world. And then you realize it's not, it's not possible. Like it's not possible to do everything. It's not possible to save everyone. It's not possible to. And so we, I went there and uh, one of the things was that the kids were coming and they were dying like every day and either they didn't have the medication or they were not doing the right medication at the right way. So then you could see that you could actually teach the, the nurses how to do it and doctors. And it was just little by little, pole pole, they say it's like little by little things were, were uh, changing. And um, so I think my, my 14-year-old, and that's what I, I want, I was going to be the president of UNICEF. <laughs> and I do, not, I do not want to do that anymore. I do not want to be the president of UNICEF anymore. I'm like, I want to keep working on the field. Like, I, that's what I like. That's where I belong. That's what I do. So I think I went from more, like I said, I didn't know much, but I'm like, I really wanted to do everything <laughs> and save everyone. And it's not possible, but what I do is like, even if I help save one life and I, even if I teach one nurse that will keep saving other lives, that's, that's for me, it makes a whole mission. Like it makes it, it it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So how long are you usually um, deployed on these missions? How long are you gone? Um, my first missions were uh, different because I used to go for seven months, six months. So my first mission was in South Sudan for seven months. And then I went to Yemen for seven months. Between my second and my third mission, I actually met my husband. So I went to Colombia for nine months when I already met him. And uh, 
then I, I came, like, after Colombia, I came back here. <laughs> like, I, I didn't go back to Paraguay. I came here. And after I got married, we, the plan was that I was going to do three months outside and three months here and three months abroad and three months here. And uh, the first, it's the funny thing, it's when, when, when I got my green card, I was so happy and I was like gone. <laughs> like people are so happy because you get your green card and you want to stay. And I'm like, okay, bye-bye, see ya. And I went to uh, Central African Republic. And that's when the, uh, I always tell the story. I actually went for a malaria, malaria intervention. So it's, it was going to be the peak of malaria because it was a rainy season. So we were expecting to have more patients with malaria. So we just had more teams deployed in, in different areas. And I was in this tiny village and it was just uh, me and one logistician and then a team of five. Yeah, and I was, uh, yeah, I have four nurses and two uh, drivers, so six. And... Um, the, the village was attacked and we like we knew there was a possibility so we uh, we organized we had everything ready in case of an attack but the village was attacked and we were staying in the only in the only building that was actually made out of bricks mm. so uh, that it was a religious compound it was a Catholic compound and we were staying there because it was the only building so we we kept hearing that the gunshots and everything and the, the houses were being burned and like people were getting into the house, but to, to like to save themselves. So after five hours, we actually, and when it looks like everything was calm, like everything calmed down, we, we decided to go outside and check and see if there was anything that we could do to save uh, wounded people. But at the same time, the, the police, so it was, it's the Antibalaga and the Seleka. So the police actually came and um, they were the ones saying that we need to go and take care of their wounded. But and we were going to go anyhow, but they were like with guns in our cars. So we went and um, we went to the hospital. And then when, um, when we're going to organize where we're going to, to work, they, they shot one of the nurses in the head. Oh my God! Wow! Because they said he was one of the uh, the rebels, and then so at that point everybody looked at me and they were like, "What are we gonna do?" And I'm like, "We're just gonna keep working." And they were like, "Did you see what happened?" I'm like, "I totally saw what happened." I'm like, "We're just gonna do what we know what how to do. We, there's nothing you can do at that time." So we just organized, and then they took prisoners out of the jail, and they like kept doing the same thing, like they kept killing them in front of us, my God. and we just kept working oh. so that lasted until so it started at 5 30 in the morning and then uh i was there until 11 45 p.m when i was able to go back to the compound and just take a shower but then uh at the next day what happened is we had all these people in our compound and we could decide if we if we wanted to leave or we wanted to stay and uh, there was not there was not a choice actually because if we were leaving, they they were gonna come inside and they were gonna kill everyone. So we of course decided to stay. So it's just wow. that was I, I stayed there for three months and that was 
the first month. So for two months, what I did, what we did, is just we kept helping the village. Uh, and we kept we kept helping them, and then I came back home, and uh, I'm like, my heart was still there. So the emergency was still there. There were there were still clashes. They were still fighting. So I decided to go back. Like after a month that I was here, I decided to go back. And um, that's actually when I realized that I had PTSD. Yes, uh, I was in a different location, but I was at a hospital. And what happened is the uh, uh, rebels came back and somebody didn't know how to manage the situation. So I jumped in and I managed the situation. But then when I went back to our compound, I was really mad. <laughs> I was really mad at the uh, field coordinator because he he put in charge someone that couldn't uh, deal the situation in a better way. But that's when I actually realized that it was like, okay, I'm like, I had, I do have PTSD because I just remember exactly what happened and I just knew that it could happen again. So I uh, I stayed for a month and I, I came back home. And um, so that's when it all comes with the bike. This, it's just a whole realization that you don't want and you don't want to accept that you have PTSD because you're this strong person, you're a strong woman, you cannot, you don't want to accept that. But I'm like, I, I, that was just not the worst. Like I could think, I remember thinking about this woman, she came with this little baby. The baby was like six months old or seven months old. And, uh, so she, she, she came with a baby, but she was like, she, she said that she was raped. And uh, so I was going to like see her, see the mom. And the mom was like, no, no, see the baby. And I'm like, what do you mean see the baby? And she's like, no, no, see the baby. So then she explained that it was actually the baby and how it happened. So it's just one of those things that you're like, at six months old. So, and, and, and that's part of war. Like they will, that's what they do. Like, it's like, that's, that's something that they do. They will just go and rape women and baby and men. And so it's just, it was just all those things that I just kept really just riding my bike and crying and riding my bike. And then I met this, this, this uh, group of women and they are so much fun. <laughs> that I'm like, so that was the best. I'm like, I, I could go and ride bikes with them. And I was like, it was just this joy of, being alive and I'm like it was just a realization that okay I could have been dead also and I'm like if I'm not if I'm still here it must be because of something so I just keep giving my best and uh but just sometimes and that that's something that I do like sometimes I, I do I do ride mountain bikes also and especially with the mountain bikes I'm like I will go to things that are I know they're super hard so I will go to these steep, difficult climbs. And just whenever I feel like I can't go anymore, I'm like, just go. Like, I want to kill my legs. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to feel that happy suffering. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, like, it's just, yeah, it's like bikes give me. And then now that I, like, love downhills, it's a happy feeling of being alive. That's that's what it is. Wow, that is some really intense stuff. I know sometimes, I, and I didn't used to like to tell about this because it's so, I know it's difficult to relate. Like 
for most people, like if I tell something like that, people are like, okay, you're like, they look at me like if I'm so super weird, but it is something that we as humanitarians, we actually see this all the time. It's just, it's, it's, it's happening all the time. I just, people just find other ways for their stress. Like, I don't I, I found sports. So I found sports and now I found that sharing, it helps. So this is something that it's, I'm like, if I go to a mission right now, something like this will, like, it will happen again, or this keeps happening all the time. It's just the reality of the humanitarian world most of the time. So even when you're, uh, when you're deployed on mission, did you, you know, like that for a pretty long period, so were you cycling then as well or doing any other sports? It normally depends on, on where I go. The mo- the, that's what I love being a triathlete. I, um, something that you can do always, it's run. It doesn't, like, that I was able to do all the time was run. Sometimes I would run around a compound. Like I will just go like, I'm not kidding, like 50 times around a compound. <laughs> no, like, so like, not the soldiers, sorry. The guards will look at me like, Hey, Hey, it's like 50 times. <laughs> I know. And then, or sometimes it's not so bad. Like security, I can, I, I can actually go and run a little farther. Bikes, it's it's normally more difficult. It's really uh, difficult to be able to ride bikes. Uh, when I was in, when <laughs> when I when I was, I'm just laughing because when I was in Yemen, the first thing I asked was, "Can I ride bikes?" And they were like, they all look at me like, "No." I'm like, "Can I ride bikes? Huh. Ride bikes here?" And then one of the uh, the women actually, she was the medical coordinator. She came and she said, "When." please stop asking if you can ride bikes. And I'm like, but why? She said, because men here think that if you ride bikes, you're going to have orgasms. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Wait, wait. But I was like, okay, so I'm going to stop. And then I went for my, for I went to Istanbul for uh, my vacations. And the first thing I did was rent a bike, of course. And I was like riding in Istanbul with this huge smile and I'm like, oh my gosh, if anybody of my team see me, they won't believe it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I have this gigantic smile. Because biking is just that good. I know. I was like, people, if we only knew, no. But it's like most of the places I can. And then in 2015, I went to Chad. And it was just this, the weirdest thing. We found this, uh, well, I was in Chad in Cameroon. So the base was actually in Cameroon. And uh, so there was a house that used to be from a football, a a soccer player, like football player from Cameroon. I don't know where he was playing, but so he had a house with a pool. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. But it was like this tiny pool, right? Like, like three strokes. And I will like be like at the other side, but it was like the best thing ever. (laughs) And and he had a like a bike, like an indoor bike. I'm like, this is not true. So I will go like, I would swim and then I would do my indoor bike and then I would go and run around the compound. And I'm like, that was my training. There was your triathlon. <laughs> I know. So that was awesome. But that's 
And normally what I can do is run. That's, yeah, that's, that's mainly, that, that's the best thing about running. You can run mostly everywhere. I used to run, this is like in Yemen, I was at a rooftop <laughs> and I was running and I was just going to run 30 minutes. And then I'd mean it, I hope my, my, the field coordinators will not listen to this, but I was like running on the roof and then they start like bombing each other like to just it's just human it's this weird thing like you will see from a castle like a bomb going to the other one and i'm like really i just need three more minutes <laughs> so <laughs> i seriously i kept running i'm like just two more laps two more laps and i was like i could see it right <laughs> and then i'm like my phone was ringing and then i'm like hi i answered and they were like where are you we're all in the safe room i'm like yeah i'm going <laughs> Just two more laps. I just needed 30 minutes. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so we kind of, yeah, being an athlete in those places, it's kind of tough, but we find ways. <laughs> well, speaking of love and bikes, I, I've got to hear about this proposal and this engagement ring bike. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So my husband, actually, he, he proposed and uh, we were camping. And, uh, that's, that's how he proposed. And, uh, I already said yes there, but then I'm like, he didn't have a ring or anything. And he went, he did not go down on his knees. He did not have a ring. It was the sweetest way. Like anyway, like he wanted to share his life with me. And I'm like, I said, yes, but he didn't have a ring. And then we just, we, we went back home, like at his house at that time. Then he's like, "Hey, can you come here to the? Uh, can you come here to the uh, living room?" So I'm like, I went, and there was a mountain bike, like a brand new mountain bike, which, by the way, was like not my size, <laughs> but it was a brand new mountain bike. So he said, um, "I didn't know what to do because you don't. I I know you don't wear anything. Like you have zero jewelry." And I'm like, "If I was gonna give you a ring, you were gonna like throw it in my head." So I'm like, I didn't know what to do. So this is your engagement ring. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best engagement ring ever. I'm like, can you please ask me again? <laughs> it's very thoughtful. Yeah, that's that's what it was. And the, the funny thing is like, he asked my best friend, Ian Farawai, and he's like, what should I do? I'm like, I want to ask. And she was so funny because she knew. And um, she's, he's like, I don't know what to do because I, I want to ask her to marry me, but I, she doesn't wear rings. And uh, Carola, my best friend, she was like, I don't know what you can give her, but please don't give her a ring because then she will say no. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he got me a bike. That was the most awesome thing ever. So he's obviously the perfect man. Oh, yes. For you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're a great team. So did did you mention how you got into triathlon? Because I just got thrown out of the thing a couple of times, so I missed some of the stuff you said. So my husband, he's um, my husband is a duathlete, so it's a run by run. So when we went, uh, when I moved here, I started doing duathlons with him, and uh, so I've been active my whole life. Like I, I since uh, I was a little. I was actually, I used to play basketball. So I was like, I was a runner in high school and I was a basketball player. And then in medical school, I also um, ran. And then when I was 
able, when I was 25, I actually, I got my first bike. I was like so happy and I got my bike and I was riding to work, like riding to the hospital with my bike. And uh, so when I met my husband, I told him, I was like, I'm a cyclist. <laughs> I didn't know much. But um, so when when uh, I moved here, he was a real cyclist. Like he was like really into duathlon. So I started doing it. And then in 2015, we went to this triathlon that it's called, it's in Mexico. But it's like a party, what's the name? Oh my gosh. It's a party place. Like you go, like people is drunk while, while they're doing the triathlon. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I got second on my first try. <laughs> but I'm like, it was an ocean swim and I was not a swimmer. So I still not am. I'm not a swimmer, but I'm like, it was an ocean swim and it was a spring try. So uh, I did it and I'm like, baby, I think I like this triathlon thing better. And uh, he's like, well, then you need to learn how to swim. And I'm like, okay, I can learn how to swim. So that was in May 2015. And that year, like in June, I went to Chad. And um, so that's, that was one of the places where I was actually running inside the compound because I was opening the project. And we, didn't, we still didn't have a security-wise. We didn't know where to go, like a perimeter. But then I was like able to go a little farther and a little farther because it's like we, we we started getting to know the community. And then one time I was running and uh, so this soldier came with like this big truck and soldiers and guns and Kalashnikovs and all the thing. Oh my God. And I'm like, they were like chasing me and I was like running like, and then I'm like, okay, they're actually chasing me. So I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped and they asked they, this was in French but, Good idea. but they, they were like where are you running and I'm like uh, uh, to work out I'm like I'm just running so they said why are you running so fast and this is what I did I look at my Garmin and I was like this is not fast <laughs> I, don't I think i was like i don't know i think i was so in shock that i was like my answers were not the right ones <laughs> so they were like then they, i was like yeah i'm actually working out and they were like oh good for you good for you to work out i'm like oh thank you <laughs> so Anyway, they said it's not safe for a woman to be running here. You know, this is Boko Haram area. So I'm like, okay, well then, I'm just going to go back home. Thank you. I just went back and I was like, that's when I was reading Life Without the Limit from Chrissy Wellington. So what I did is I went and I read the whole book in a day. And I was like, nobody's going to tell me that I can run. I'm going to go and sign up for an Ironman. But I actually, I didn't even know, like I, not even the distances or anything. I just went a sprint. So I just went, I checked, like I really, I just Googled it, like Ironman's in July and it was Vineman. And I was like, there it is. I'm going to sign up. I just signed up. <laughs> then it, it was actually a 70.3 and I'm like, oh, well, that's good. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't go for the full one. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I signed up and then I told my husband and I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this thing. And he's like, you're not like you don't have time to train. You need you don't know how to swim. That's a long swim. And then he's like, that was and then 
it, I think it took him like one second and then he's like, yeah, you're going to do it. It's okay. Well, well then, I guess you yeah. need to find a pool. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got into triathlons. Yeah, because some soldiers told me that I couldn't run because it wasn't safe. <laughs> Love that. You got some really cool stories. Yeah. And I'm like, it was so, I, sorry, I'm just laughing because they were like, why are you running so fast? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like so slow right now. It will take me forever to get back in shape. You know when you're actually angry because you're not like you're not in good shape. <laughs> I, like I was not worried about that. I like how all your stories start with somebody telling you what you can't do. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Turn them all on their head. <laughs> I know. Yeah, don't tell me I can do something. Well, I want to make sure we get a little bit of time to hear about the Project Bike Love uh, a little bit more and and what that's what that's like, how you got the idea, and and what kind of difference it makes on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, so Project Bike Love was actually born in 2015. Also, what happened is I met this uh, girl Erin. So Erin, she was her her story is amazing, uh, but uh, like as a lot of people, she was going through this tough breakup and like trying to like see what to do. And her mom was amazingly, her mom sent her a gift for Christmas that it was a bracelet. And it said, because bikes were so important in your life, we thought that you would like to know that uh, instead of sending you a Christmas present, we uh, donate a bike to a woman that was uh, for this organization that was about uh, girl trafficking, like human trafficking. Mm. So for her, that was awesome. She's like, oh my gosh, like she she wanted to do something. And she's like, okay, bikes and helping other women. So that's when the idea came from her. So she started sharing this idea with, with people. And like, of course, we're like, Orange County at the end, we all kind of know each other. It's like, you need to know meet this person. You need to meet this person. It's like, she rides bikes. She does that. So they all told her, like, you need to tell these to Belen. Like, Belen is the person that you need to share this story with. So we went on a bike ride, actually. And um, it was like a, a lot of a lot of friends. And we're going up this hill. And I just came back from a mission. I'm not saying this because I wasn't in shape. But I just came back from a mission at that time. And we're going up. And she was like telling the story and it's like, I want to empower women and bikes. And I was like really working hard to keep up with her. <laughs> so at one point I was like, girl, really, I want to hear what you're saying, but I can't keep up with you. <laughs> so let's go. We made it to the, the top of the hill. And um, so we went running at the uh, next week. So I'm like, okay, maybe running. I'm more able to keep up with her. And I, would, and I was actually able to talk. So we... We talk for eight miles, we run, we talk, and it's like, it was a soul connection. I don't know if that ever happened. Like, we just connected so well. And uh, she had the idea, and I, I had the know-how on so many things. Because what, what happened is we, we wanted to do something to empower women, and bikes gave us so much, and bikes were our tool. But something that it was really important for us was that the bikes were not a threat for the women. Like they were not riding in chat and like somebody as older will come or Boko Haram would come. So we wanted to do something that was safe for them. 
then we wanted to be able to find local partners that uh, we were actually able to follow up with the women. That mm-hmm. Not that we just donated a bike and it was like a thousand bikes and we had no clue who the women were or who the beneficiaries were. So we really wanted to do it in a, in a way that we connect with people. And uh, so after that run, I went back home and I sent some messages, some emails to friends in Paraguay in organizations that I volunteer with uh, before, like Habitat for Humanity, something similar. So that's Mm -hmm. how we found our first women. So the women apply Mm -hmm. and they explain how they were going to use the bikes and uh, like how the bikes were going to help them in in a daily basis. And in less than two weeks, we had 50 candidates. So we had the idea. We had 50 candidates. We had zero money. <laughs> we had nothing, but we were like, okay, we got this. We're going to do it. <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's it. That's how it, uh, that's how it was born. Uh, we actually, right now, we deliver over 200 bikes. We are working to... Uh, we just delivered nine bikes last month, and we are preparing to deliver 30 more in Paraguay uh, next week also. So now it's now it's much easier. We we are a five, 501c3. Uh, we are a nonprofit in California. We have more people that they know us, they, they trust us, and we keep saying it's like we are grassroots. We want to keep it that way. Like we don't – like. We want to make sure we know the women, we know what's going on, we can do a follow-up. And uh, so that's that's how we're still still doing it. And then uh, when when people say that life, a bike story can be the difference between life and death, and I, I always tell this story that happened to me in South Sudan, uh, a patient came, a, a dad brought his kid. And uh, so the kid was like in really bad condition. So I don't know why something told me that I need to stay and like take took care of take care of that kid. So it was almost our curfew time, but I I stay and I ask my field coordinator. I'm like, you know, I'm breaking the rules, but please let me stay until he's better. So he stayed with me during the night, um, and then at the next day the kid was better. So I was like, I went to the dad, and I was like, I was not humble. I'm sure. I said, why did it take so long? Like, I wanted to give the dad a life lesson. So it was like, why did, did you take so long to bring your kid to the hospital? So he stopped crying. He started crying, sorry. And he, he told the nurses in his dialect, and then he did the nurse translate, that he didn't know there was a hospital nearby, and it was 100 kilometers. And then when he learned, it took forever to find a bike to bring the kid to the hospital. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I apologize, of course, went home and cried. And, uh, but I just, for me, that was one of the things, like I, we take things for granted. Like we take everything for granted. Like we think that we, everywhere you just open the tab and there is water. And even you open the tab and there is cold and hot water. Like for us, that's the norm. And that is not the norm. So For me, that that's where I learned. I'm like, oh my gosh, that dad was like fine, trying to find a bike. So I, we know we're like, we really know that bikes are not the solution for everything, but it is our tool, and it's it's an amazing tool for us to to connect with people. Like Erin, I, I 
like she was in Paraguay and I'm like, she, she doesn't speak Spanish and the beneficiaries, they didn't speak English. And they were like with signs and just laughing. And they were, she was like teaching them how to ride the bikes. And they were like showing them what they were going to do. Like even so they, they brought these vegetables or fish, the things that they were going to sell, like instead of having baskets in their head, they were going to use the basket in the bikes. And they were just showing that her, like, this is what I'm going to do. And so they could totally understand. She could totally understand. And I'm like, it's just, you just, we, I always say, we use the language of bikes and love and we, we understand each other. Uh, but so the, the bikes, there are so many stories. We don't have time. <laughs> There's so many stories of, of all the, uh, the, the things that, that happen with these women and how it improved their daily life. But, uh, it's just amazing. And it's just the, the bike itself is the tool. It's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's not the end. It's, it's, it's just a tool and the way that we have to, to connect with, with these women. It's powerful. Yeah, no, like what you guys are doing is absolutely amazing. So big kudos to you guys for that. Thank you. And so if people want to get involved with Project Bike Love, like in what ways can they do so and how can they do so? Well, we that's we get that question all the time. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that many volunteer opportunities. Like if you're there and like you're in Australia and you want to or you're in whatever part of the world and you're like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, please contact me and you can come with us to Paraguay next time and you can see it for yourself. Like it will be life changing. But uh, mostly what we what we do have right now is just we raise funds to get these bikes. So uh, the way it's like people people get involved in different ways, they could they just they do like we just did this fundraiser for more kids and it was just athletes and in like in one day they raised fifty fifty six hundred. So that's like over forty bikes for kids. Those are the bikes we're delivering now in uh, in November. Then a really important thing is if you know an organization that works with women, and we we always say women, and we, we want to keep it in South America for now, because it's if just this example, if there is a family of five and there are there is one boy and four girls, the boy will get the bike. So that's why we just we keep saying it's like we want to do it with women because we just want to help break that gap. Mm. Uh, so if you know any organization or if you work with any organization that work with women and that can connect with us, uh, we can, they can be our next local partners. Right. Our dream is to have right. one local partner in every uh, country of South America. So right now we have Paraguay, Bolivia, and we finally were able to do it here with Deliver Bikes in Orange County for women that were at risk, uh, that are still at risk. And uh, like uh, from a, a, an organization called Grandma House of Hope. So we, we said we want to add one country per year. So we're good, like three years, three countries. <laughs> um, and that's that's what we want to keep, uh, keep growing. And you can find us, it's Project Bike Love. So our website is www.projectbikelove.org. And then we are on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Great. All right. So final few questions here to sort of wrap things up. 
Um, so coming back to that book and chapters concept idea. So going forward, what do we want your next chapter title to be? Just keep leaving. I'm like, I, if I learned something with, I, I told you before, like one of our, my best friends and a PBL board member just passed away in Peru last week. We're all heartbroken about that. Uh, my mom is dealing with a really bad pancreatic cancer. So for me, I just, I really take one day at a time, one adventure at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. So I just, I keep adding things, but I'm like, for me, the main thing is to keep living life to the fullest. One thing is I'm doing this weekend, I'm I'm hiking the Grand Canyon, rim to rim. Nice. And uh, that was something that I always wanted to do, but I didn't have the chance because it was either hot or too cold or I wasn't here. So I said, okay, that's it. I'm like, I told my husband, I had to do it because if I die, then you will have to do it because you have to do something that I couldn't do. <laughs> so I'm just saving you when <laughs> I'm going to do a hike the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so that's actually, that's the way I live my life right now. I'm like, if I want to do something, it's like, this is my next goal and this is my next thing. And I just pour my whole heart in that. Just keep living, enjoying life and sharing that. Mm-hmm. And what's the message you want people listening to take away from your story? Hmm. Just don't take anything for granted. Like, don't take life for granted. Just be happy and blessed for everything you have. Like, sometimes maybe you forget to take the trash out and your house smells. First thing is think, my gosh, I'm so blessed to actually have food that went bad. (laughs) And that's why it smells. So for me, it's just, yeah. Don't take anything for granted and just live life to the fullest. Yep. That's a great perspective. <laughs> oh, yeah. For my husband, sometimes it's like, you are so annoying. Can I still complain about things? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And are there any people or brands that you'd like to give a shout out to? Erin. Uh, so Erin, I, I I always said this. It's like, it was, she shared her heart and that's that's the reason why uh, we connected and we were able to to create Project by Love. And then there is so many people around us right now. Uh, Matt, Matt, our friend that just passed away uh, last week, he he believed in us. You know, like the two crazy, it was just Aaron, Matt, and I <laughs> at the beginning. My husband, because he just loved my crazy my my crazy soul. My mom for giving me life. And uh, and then in in other ways, like all the people, because I, I came here in my whole life relate to bikes right now. So I work with Carmichael Training System. They gave me that job. They gave me the opportunity to be part of the family. I work at a bike store now, like Rock and Road. And uh, so that's like my whole life uh, revolts about bikes right now. And uh, they just... They just gave me the opportunity just to be me and just to do and like share my passion about life. That's fantastic. And before we ask our last question, tell everyone where they can find you online. You can find Project Bike Love on Facebook and Instagram. And then my my name is Belen Ramirez. So there are, if you find Belen Ramirez, it's super, there are a lot. <laughs> so I actually add Belen Ramirez for Dash. 
So I didn't, I did not officially change my last name when we got married, but I did it in social media. And I think that's the, like the most official thing here <laughs> right now at this time. <laughs> that's the official way to do it. Right. So I'm Belen Ramirez Bourdage in uh, Instagram and Facebook. Great. All right. And uh, last question. Why do you try? Because I'm alive. <laughs> Yeah, to celebrate that I'm alive every day. Fantastic. Yeah, you definitely have given us a lot of perspective to think on. Man, I, I wanted to hear a lot more stories. I wanted to ask a lot no more questions. Kidding. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're out of time. <laughs> so maybe we can have you again on later in the future. I would love to. I know, I do. I do love to share stories and share the world. Like sometimes we don't, we don't, realize sometimes I say I like I tell people it's like I'm sorry for sharing so much but it's just it is my way to keep in contact with the world and to sh keep sharing I'm like I'm just blessed to be able to see so many type of things so I'm like I like to to share that it's like remember that it's just not us in this little bubble that we live in there's a lot more than that yeah. it helps me remember also because <laughs> I Living living here in Orange County, and I'm like, I, I live in the Santa Ana Mountains, so I'm like, if I just stay home, this is the most beautiful place in the world. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there are other things out there. <laughs> thank you, Belen. This was amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed today's show and love the hot podcast, we would love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave the podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Your review helps us out a lot and would be very much appreciated. Thank you all again for being a part of this community. If you haven't already, you can find us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Strava at Humans of Triathlon. So head on over there and let us and our guests know how you liked this episode. Also, the show notes for everything mentioned or discussed on the episode can be found on our website. That's humansoftriathlon.com slash hotpodcast. And be sure to join us again next week where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon. And until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>